today on 2C Fans. You know, their immune system is tanking and they're more likely to get sick from pathogens just like us. So I'm more likely to just snap at Joe when I haven't had enough sleep, but that's mm, me. Or, or it's just <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, it's just Tuesday and there's a lot of week left. And, yeah, but yeah. Or, but, or, or Friday. But I'm not as frail as a coral. A coral uh, can get something wrong with it and just die. But, but. Hello and welcome to 2C Fans at Moat Marine Laboratory. I'm Haley Riker. And I'm Joe Nicholson. And we're here with uh, the very educated and awesome Erin Muller, Dr. Erin Muller. I like to call her the Coral Queen. <laughs> yeah, nice, I like that. Me too. So Erin, um, what's your title at Moat? I am a staff scientist and program manager for the Coral Health and Disease Program. Now you've been, you've been at Moat for a while now, haven't you? Five and a half years wow it's getting up there yeah i know i'm one of the you know first seniors around yeah here. yeah yeah one of the weren't you one of the first uh like group of postdocs when we started that whole new initiative yeah i was one of the two first postdocs and in, in that new initiative that's right and i'm the, still here and you're still wow i know yeah right something must be going right something must be going right where did you come to us from i had just graduated from Florida Tech in Melbourne, Florida, with my PhD. Very cool. Yeah. And I had uh, kind of spent the last five years before coming here living in the Virgin Islands or Florida off and on. Doing oh, that's research. rough. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's terrible. Got, that's got to be hard mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know if I could handle that. <laughs> is, is that where you grew up? No, I actually grew up in upstate New York. Where? In the Finger Lakes region. Okay. So in a small town called Bath, where mm-hmm. there's more cows than people. Nice. Um but it was a, it was a really nice place to grow up, and my parents took me to kind of small aquariums within the region, and that's how I learned that I would love marine biology for all of my life. And it's kind of interesting because it's come full circle. You know, here I am working in a you know a local aquarium and doing research. You know, when that's what sparked my love for science and the oceans to begin with. It was kind of like foreordained. Is yeah, that how you pre-ordained. Say it? Pre-or- pre-ordained. Is that how you say it, Haley? I think Haley, that word doesn't apply. Haley's my uh, <coughs> Haley's my uh, my grammar coach. I guess uh, unwillingly, somebody's got to do it. <laughs> yeah, right. You, know, you can't let Joe loose. Wait, so, like, I've noticed how many people come from places like New York, Chicago, and mm-hmm. like New Jersey, and then they come and like end up in Florida doing research on tropical and subtropical marine species. And it's like, how do all these people get here? I think because we grow up <laughs> in the cold and the snow, and we're like, how can I get out of here and not deal with this anymore? Well, have a job where you, you know, never need to yeah. be in the cold climate. <laughs> wow, look at I can scuba dive and look at corals. Yeah, and get heat. paid for it get paid for it yeah wow probably not like too much because we work at a nonprofit, but you know we love the work yeah it's, i mean <laughs> it's enough to survive off of yeah so wait how did you choose um corals in the first place yeah so it wasn't kind of a, a direct line i was in undergrad and i tried a lot of different things within the science world so i kind of thought maybe dolphins would be cool or sharks i worked with aquaculture for a little while I even studied tropical plants um, for a couple of years, but I had a professor that started at Florida Tech where I did my undergrad um, my junior year, and he was a coral reef ecologist, and I took his class, and I was sold. You want to drop a name? Uh, Dr. Rob Van Wosick. Yeah, so he's, you know, 
Australian, grew up studying the Great Barrier Reef, and luckily came over to here to the U.S., and he's been a great mentor for me and continues to be. Seems like all the, you know, the scientists that succeed had that one professor who's like, whose way of presenting the material or whose research question just made them inspired. I don't know. Yeah. It it's like been, it's been the way with uh, most of the interviews we've had with, um, with all the, uh, it's like this one professor they gelled with and yeah. they took off. I don't know. Crazy. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, mentors have been an important part of getting me to where I am today, you know, so I'm super grateful to all the, you know, men and women have that have shown me that, you know, like being a scientist is possible in this world and, you know, being a mom at the same time, um, you know, is hard to do, but people have done it and they've shown me the way. So that's been really important. Yeah. And, it, you know, being a coral ecologist um, and we talk about the importance of the coral reef ecosystem here at Moat. So from your view, your experience... Um, why do the coral reefs matter so much? Yeah, I mean, a lot of different scientists work with different organisms that sometimes are a, are a hard sell for why are they important in the big picture, but coral reefs are are so easy to talk about in this way because they provide so many social services and ecosystem services for us. So, for example, you know, they are the most biodiverse um ecosystem within the oceans. And because of that, they're inherently biologically important for maintaining proper functionality of our oceans. But they also provide protection from our shorelines. So they absorb wave energy and reduce erosion, which protects millions, if not billions of dollars in property um, just in the state of Florida alone. Um, they also are a great resource for novel medicines. So because this ecosystem is so biodiverse. There's lots of these little creatures that are creating chemicals that we have never seen before. And those chemicals can be harvested for treating things like cancer or um, bio, um, bacterial um, antibiotics that can fight, you like know. MRSA. Yeah, MRSA and, and like very, exactly. Yeah. So just by the sheer number and different types of organisms, somebody might be producing something just because there's so much going on. Well, yeah, and you know you had right. like Sting singing about the rainforest and, you know, trying to protect the rainforest, but who do we have singing about the coral reefs? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think we're just starting to get more awareness um, within mainstream you know, with Chasing Coral and, and that being out in Netflix, I'm hoping that brings a lot of awareness to people that, you know, have never really thought about coral reefs before. And sadness. It is extremely sad. But honestly, I mean, as a coral reef ecologist, that is what we've been seeing over the last decade. And, um, you know, it's important for other people besides those of us that are in the water every day to, to know that that's going on. So, like, other people are watching this film. They have their hand over their mouth. Their eyes are wide. You're just watching it nodding sadly and saying, yeah, I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still heartbreaking to me and shocking. You know, it's that never goes away. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to have somebody that, um, you know, is previously in advertising trying to communicate this phenomenon to people in a in you know better way than maybe scientists have been doing in the past. Um, so like the that film was focused on bleaching. So like when the corals get stressed, especially by heat, they lose their algae that they need that are in their tissues. But um, and your program has another threat as its primary focus. Not not forgetting bleaching, but coral disease. Right. Mm. How big a deal is that? Yeah. Well. 
bleaching and disease are the two major threats to coral reefs around the world, and they don't happen in isolation. Um, yeah. So an corals are animals like humans, and, and in doing so, they have an immune system that can be compromised. So like when we are not eating right or not getting enough sleep and we're stressed, we're more likely to catch a cold. Well, as the environment continues to change in the oceans, and become suboptimal for corals, you know, their immune system is tanking and they're more likely to get sick from pathogens just like us. So I'm more likely to just snap at Joe when I haven't had enough sleep, but that's mm, me. Or, or it's just <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, or it's just Tuesday and there's a lot of week left. And, yeah, but yeah. No, or, but, or, or Friday. But I'm not as frail as a coral. A coral uh, can get something wrong with it and just die. But, but <laughs> like coral banding disease uh, and, yes. and the rest of it, that's not something new. It's been around like, uh -huh. since corals existed. Correct? Right. I mean, disease is always a part of a population. You're never going to have a population without disease. It's a one way that's naturally controlled population growth. Um, mm. But what we're seeing now is um, more amounts of outbreaks that are occurring. And that's so, because of the climate change, primarily. So as the waters are warming, you're getting a coral that has an immune system that's getting compromised. And you're also getting increased growth in pathogens because bacteria love warm water. And they also, um, that warm water triggers virulence within a lot of these bacteria too. So ones that might be innocuous under low temperatures, you know, or relatively controlled temperatures, once that temperature starts increasing, they develop these behaviors that make them pathogenic and ultimately can kill the corals. And we're actually gotcha. seeing a huge outbreak in the Florida Keys right now that has that started a couple of years ago and has been continuing. It's uh, started in around the Miami-Dade area and over the past two years has spread. Um, it's about at the Seven Mile Bridge now. Close oh, so it's to, going south. It's going south and north. Um, it's gone north already to the extent of the northern reef part. So yeah. like... Oh, man. Um, yeah, West Palm Beach area, and now it, it moves south, we think, through little eddy formations. Um, and it's really been devastating to the reefs. I mean, we're hoping it will stop at that seven-mile bridge because there's a big waterway that... There's a big gap there. Yeah, yeah. potentially could be a geographic barrier, um, but we are watching it closely, and it has caused 50% uh, mortality of many of those reefs uh, wow. within the last couple of years. I had, um, and that's on I, top of everything else that's going on with Exactly. Well, I mean, we had back-to-back -back bleaching events over the last couple of years as Yeah, well. we had heard that, and we had wondered if that was opening the door for some diseases. I mean, it's be. certainly compromising the corals. Yeah. Um, it's also possibly allowing this pathogen to persist through winter when usually you get... Hmm a loss of those pathogens because of the cold temperatures. But um, well, with the water temperatures remaining in a mild range mm -hmm. over the wintertime. It allows those pathogens to not persist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. All kinds of interesting um, and sad hypotheses for scientists like you to right. so, investigate. Yeah, we're trying to figure out ways to, to stop some of these outbreaks from occurring and, and when they do occur, ways to mitigate the effects. But, I mean, one thing we also didn't talk about is just uh, the amount of money that these environments bring to local economies so oh, sure, tourism yeah. Yeah. you know could be heavily impacted as well and they help the fishing as well because you right. know they're the nursery grounds for exactly what hundreds of species yeah about 25 percent of ocean creatures use coral reefs as some form of habitat so that could be a, a huge loss to our economy in the state if we don't do something so about if it, it wasn't just for the money you know that's what they should be doing it for it's all about the Benjamins, baby. Right, yeah. <laughs> Show me the money.
Or or just, you know, have a heart and take care of your environment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah people, that too. <laughs> people aren't like that, Hales. Come on, you know that. I'm it's naive. all about the money. I'm right. naive. I well, like to think... You know, the, the good thing with corals is you can hit them in the heart. Like, you should care about them because yeah. they're beautiful and important. But hit them in the pocketbook too, you know, that's, it makes people... That's where it hurts more. People that first. maybe don't care about the ecology of it, yeah. they care about the economy of it. Yeah. I was, uh, I wanted to go back to one thing you said, which um, you actually said looking at ways to, to sort of stem the advances of mm-hmm. disease. It seems like there's a lot of different kinds of disease and we don't know everything about them yet, but so how, how can we start looking at ways to help the corals um, Yes. seems like a big mm-hmm. challenge. Right. Uh, and not only is it a challenge in application in, you know, controlled environment, doing it in the, a place like the ocean is very difficult, not only because you have water to work in in a harsh environment, but permitting is, is difficult. So, you know, a lot of the diseases that we've been seeing are mostly linked to bacteria. Mm-hmm. So there's been people that have su- had success in the lab using antibiotics, but you're never going to be able to dump antibiotics on a reef, right? Especially within protected area like the Florida Keys sanctuary. No, they would kind of frown on that. Right. So we've been trying to develop mechanical ways to stop the disease from progressing. So we've had some limited success within basically creating fire breaks between Mm -hmm. the disease advancement line and to do for the forest fires, yeah. Exactly. So create a barrier where the disease will progress, you know, in front of that barrier, but once they hit that physical barrier we hope that they stop. We have had some success with that, and we're trying to develop uh, methods to do that in a in a more applicable way. It's interesting that maybe, you know, a disease maybe creeps along a coral and killing it. But, you know, when we get a disease, it's all over our body. It's It, it seems like a very different situation, a coral, the way it's organized, I right. guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, and in being in a liquid, you know, in a fluid environment, you would <laughs> think it would be easier for that disease to, you know, move transmit. Right. And it does. Um, We do think that especially this one that's happening in the Keys is moving through the water and that can be really easily accomplished. Right. Um, But because corals are colonial organisms, if one polyp is infected on one side of the coral doesn't mean the entire colony is infected. And so isolating Mm. the diseased polyp from the potentially healthy polyp is a is a way forward um but that isn't always the case sometimes you get a coral that's the entire thing is like mottled and diseased and mm-hmm. at that point it's really pretty much impossible to do some physical mitigation well it sounds like the whole thing is really difficult to do because you know even you know fishing boats in one area of the reef take on water under their bilge and then they go over to another part of the reef and you know hit the bilge pump and dump that whatever it was mm-hmm. in the water on you know, right. this reef. and Yeah, I mean, could same very well for, be for divers. You know, divers are in the water, and they, ha- they have wetsuits on and gear that could be absorbing pathogens, and unknowingly they go to another reef, and you never know. So um, so it's there's a lot of different mechanisms for transport within these um, reef environments. Wow, what a challenge. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, job you, security. Yeah, right? <laughs> How do you isolate? Wow. Uh, Man, you're a born, born problem solver if you take that on. Yeah, well, we're hoping that that mm-hmm. geographical barrier is going to help us. But once we know if that's in place, it would be important for policy to prevent people from moving from, you know, one side of that outbreak to the potential area where it's not oh, reached. So I think studying the, the path of this disease outbreak could have important policy applications. Hmm. Wow. Um, I was going to ask you, like, what... Um, if, if any corals just naturally resist disease, I know that's become a really 
kind of a hot topic in some right. ways. Do mm-hmm. some corals just not get them, or do they progress more slowly on some corals? They're genetically disposed. Or, uh, how predisposed. Predisposed, there you thank go. you, to uh, survive. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> See, everybody helps Joe. Everybody yeah. helps. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's definitely something we've seen. So when when we have done controlled experiments and even in the field, you notice that certain corals survive. Mm. And it looks like it's a genetic signature within the coral animal itself that makes it potentially Mm. disease resistant. And so we are right now screening corals that we have in our nurseries to see, okay, what's the level of natural disease resistance that we have and try to understand the mechanism behind it so that we can find potentially other corals that we could bring into our nursery and, you know, help um, increase that that trait within our population. So our nurseries, where we we grow the fragments out for restoring reefs, just replanting them on reefs where they've been depleted or something. So if, if we're going to do that, we, I guess we might as well do it with the most effective means. <laughs> right, right. And we still want to, of course, incorporate genetic diversity within yeah. our within our outplants and within the population, because um, that we know is incredibly important for future sustainability. But we also want to, at the same time, increase the traits of resistance that we know those threats are not going away and that's climate change and disease for sure. And is there, is there one like species of coral that's being hit harder than any other one? Well, in the, like, is there like the weak one in the herd? Yeah. So there are, um, species that do better than others, not just individuals that do better than others. So the uh, acroporids, which are the branching corals, like staghorn and elkhorn, they are more susceptible to disease than other of the more massive corals. Um, is that because they have more surface area? or I guess they don't have more surface area. It's all surface, isn't it, for well, every coral? I mean, with branching corals, you would definitely have more surface area. And that could be it. Um, it also, when looking at their immunity, they have um, a just inherently weaker ability to fight pathogens than some of other species, it seems. Um, and which is unfortunate because they are one of the major reef builders, um, and we lost those really decades ago. So those have been protected federally for um, about 10 years, a little over 10 years now. Wow. And they are a focus of our restoration efforts. Um, but now this new disease that's moving through is hitting the massive corals. What's the new disease called? Uh, mystery, Florida, mystery Florida disease. <laughs> keys disease. Mystery Florida keys disease. So we have no name for it yet. No. Um, we have just been able to start studying it, and uh, it does appear to be a bacteria, but pathogen should, unknown. We should call it Scooby-Doo. Okay, Scooby-Doo disease. Yeah. Meddling kids. Meddling kids. <laughs> we're, in the, in Aaron, the mystery. Erin and her, her colleagues are the meddling kids. The, the mystery machine. <laughs> it's not funny, Joe. <laughs> okay, sorry. He's still laughing, but yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you gotta laugh or like you'll cry sometimes. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. So it could be it could be one type of bacterium. It could be multiple bacteria in like a consortium. Maybe it could be mm-hmm. Scooby Doo. Uh, yeah, it could be all of those things. Yep. So we're just you know we're it, there's a lot of collaborators from dis- different institutions working together to try and figure this thing out. But I can yeah. see Aaron at the next international coral symposium saying the Scooby Doo virus has wiped out. No, she's only hundreds she's being nice to you right now. Corals. <laughs> Actually, I, I think our community would appreciate a little humor. They probably they might they might yeah. they might yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that's got to be hard because, you you know, you're probably out there in the field, you know, as much as you can. And when you see a patch that's just been, you know, super affected by disease again. 
But does that yeah. mean like a, a lot of scientists are now focusing on coral resilience or is, is that just something new? No, it's definitely one of the more hotter topics. Um, I think because people are looking more and more at human intervention through restoration to try and stop this decline or reverse what's been happening mm. um, because things like global climate change are super hard to tackle on a local scale, right? So Well, and there's still the deniers too. Yes, so. um, yeah, which is frustrating part. Right. Um, but restoration, I think, could be a way to get us through this environmental change. And, and people are looking at some of these more bold and unprecedented measures to stop the loss of corals because, you know, a lot of us that have been seeing the decline, if, if this continues, we have a hard time believing that there's going to be reef, reefs left in, you know, a few decades. So um, we have to start thinking about some of these bigger, bolder steps, but do it in a thoughtful way. So, you know, you're not creating like the potato famine of coral reefs where mm -hmm. you have a very homogenous population that's susceptible to something you can't predict, you know, doing it in a thoughtful, applied way with the best people that think about genetic diversity and resilience and restoration and getting this group together to really try and make a difference when everything seems to be going down the tank. Wow. Yeah, yeah I didn't even consider that. Predicting. That's why I'm not a scientist, it, I guess. And maybe like knowing knowing what genotypes are resilient, you could go out there and survey what kind of coral genotypes you have out there and have a better idea of who's going to make it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. there's really, you know, we're discovering really unique trade-offs sometimes too. So. We think all corals are um, more susceptible to disease when they're bleached, but actually I found one genotype that was more resistant to disease when bleached. Really? So you got to... fighter. <laughs> right, and that would be something you would want within that population, right? So yeah. you have to start looking at multiple stressors simultaneously and finding these unique um, traits that are picked up during some of these, um, you know, thoughtfully placed experiments. So they, there is a lot more, you know, focus on the coral resilience, mm -hmm. which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so where does it go from there then? Like you, you, you find which ones are more resilient. And like you say, like, let's not be like the potato famine and just focus right. on one thing. So we're hoping that that, that will work, but where are we at with all of that? Right. So we're right now screening different genotypes for different resilient traits um, for ocean acidification, which is the lowering of the pH of our waters, uh, high water temperatures associated with climate change and disease. Um, you know, once we screen the population that we have, we don't want to just flood our restoration efforts with those genotypes because, you know, that reduce genotypic diversity. So where we're looking at is using those um resilient strains of, of corals as broodstock. So basically taking a maybe a temperature-tolerant individual, crossing it sexually with a disease-tolerant individual, and corals create thousands and thousands of babies during one, you know, reproductive event. And yeah, all I've of seen those the babies, spawning thing where all the, yeah, it's amazing, right, yeah. Right, and, and we can do that in a controlled environment and uh, create thousands of individuals that are all different genotypes, so like... When your parents cross and create a baby, you know, you're a different genotype than your sibling unless you're identical twins, right? So same thing happens with corals, but they can create thousands of different sisters and brothers basically at the same time, all different individuals. Um, but by crossing those parents with certain traits, it'll increase the probability of those traits being within 
the next generation and then using those for restoration. So now instead of flooding the environment with a few individuals, now you have a thousand that potentially maybe 25, you know, I'm just guessing 25% maybe of them are more resilient to temperature than before. Wow. So we're, we're trying to take it to, to that level. We're looking at heritability of these traits, um, how crossing individuals are going to be successful or not, and then how, you know, putting those corals out into the environment could impact the long-term you know, survivability of these species. So you're a geneticist as well. Well, we, I dabble. <laughs> I dabble. <laughs> you, should, you should see the dogapush she has at home. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, man. So I guess it's just finding the, the right balance between being sure of having a good trait and having enough variability mm-hmm. to for them to be resilient to stuff that might come up that we're not ready for. Right, you know? exactly, exactly. Wow. And that just doesn't take us, you know, it mm-hmm. takes working with population modelers and, you know, geneticists that have looked at variability in different populations and, and bringing these people together to come up with guidelines for best applications. Mm-hmm. Wow. I think that, that that's more concentrated intelligence, like probably in one room than, you know, I've ever encountered. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes, it can be intense. It, it sounds <laughs> intense. Um, well, we were going uh, we to ask you, what, what's been one of your favorite experiences from doing this work? Do you just love diving in the field, getting, getting samples and stuff? Do you love when something goes well in the lab? Like, or is you- it the, the drink after the dive <laughs> oh. on the beach? <laughs> <laughs> all, all of the above. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think some of the best experiences have been, wow, some, you know, in the water, just seeing amazingly beautiful untouched reefs that's like swimming around in an aquarium, mm-hmm. you know, but, <laughs> but there's nobody forcing all of these fish to be in one spot. You know, they just are naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, to, you know, seeing women in, um, third world countries start to learn how to get in the water and scuba dive and and be a part of the scientific community when historically maybe it wasn't uh, in the norm um, to finding that genetic signature that explains the years of observations you've been documenting on species in peril. You know, I mean, it's just mm. there's so many wonderful parts of this uh, career that um, it's hard to just pick one. Oh, wow. So it's like, I've been watching this coral do this, this, and this for years. This mm-hmm. is the marker for that. Yeah. Those traits. Wow. Right. Yeah. That's like a, it's like a shorthand for knowing I've got this coral that yeah. has these things. Like, I know you. I, I know, know why now. you tick now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's, it's just a great, great experience. Very cool. Um, and before we finish up, I was just going to ask you, we, we talked real quick about Chasing Coral, and um, we all watched it. We were, we were all very sad, but sort of um, just sort of amazed by, you know, how well-received that that's been and how interested people have been. Um, <clears throat> do you have any other recommendations for people? Do you recommend they watch Chasing Coral? Do you recommend they watch or read anything else in particular if they want to get into this issue a little more? Yeah, I mean, Chasing Coral is definitely a great you know, documentary that really captures the audience and captures what's going on. So I highly recommend that that people watch that. Also, you know, Chasing Ice is another Mm. great documentary about how climate change is affecting um, land-based ice and um, how that can influence, you know, everybody's climate. Um, There's a lot of different literature out there that really, you know, 
I don't know, speaks to me as a scientist. Um, and just picking up any book that talks about the ocean or talks about how people, you know, change the world one study at a time, I think is cool. So like Lady and the Shark always inspired mm. me, which is about yeah, you know, Jeannie. Jeannie. Yeah. Um, when I read that, I was just, I don't know, super inspired. That, She's amazing. Hey, you yeah. know, you can do this and you can make a really big impact on the world. And, and thanks for being a mentor, Jeannie, you know, and, and those those types of impacts have been really powerful on me. So, like, the individual story of the scientist at work yeah. can be really cool. Yeah. 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 I've read a few of those in college. I agree. You know, I always like to throw our guest off off balance by asking them. How dare you? Yay. <laughs> if there was one message or one thing you could say to everybody out there about, you know, the corals, what would it be? Well, um... This is the off balance part. I know. And I'm I don't want to be too depressing. <laughs> so I mean what I wake up and, and tell my daughter every day when she gets annoyed that I have to take her to daycare and I go to work is that uh, you know, the corals need us. That the corals are dying and we need to figure out a way to save them and that's why mommy goes to work every day. Um not because I don't want to be with her, but because we are losing an ecosystem and uh, a group of species that would be a real shame. And I want my daughter to be able to snorkel on a coral reef in 10 years from now and, and be able to see what I've seen. Um, so, Because no kidding, in 10 years, we could see like no reefs. 10 to 20 years. Oh, they, I mean, they're already changing in their functionality and... Um, and I don't think that, I mean, it would be very remiss to say in 20 years from now, we're not going to have any corals left, but I don't think we, it would be difficult to say in 20 years from now, we may not have a functioning reef that is very easily to get to. But do you think they've reached the tipping point? Um, you know, I think that's hard to say. I think what we're seeing is really hard to be optimistic about, but the work that we are doing at Moat and other institutions around the world to try and to try and reverse it, I mean, that's our, our hope right now. Okay. Now let's try and end it on a happy note. So we get to tell Aaron's daughter and children everywhere that scientists are the hope for our future, period. Yes. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that's happy. Yeah. With with. With a lot of help and determination and cooperation between all of us on this planet, right? we yep. can make a difference. Yeah, I mean, we can stop that change. Yes. You know, we have lost a lot of reefs, but there's still a lot left to save. Mm-hmm. So if we do something now about it, they we, could still be around. We could still be, yeah. We yeah. could save the corals. Well, thank you very much, Erin. This My has pleasure. been amazing. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I, I learned some things today. Great. <laughs> Deep well of knowledge. We're very lucky that Erin and her colleagues are both patient and articulate enough to explain this to people like us and to all of our listeners here. Um, we're, you know, we couldn't put that knowledge to use if these guys didn't explain it to us. So it's great. Um, so I think that's it for this week. We'll yes. uh, see you. Okay, Joe, you re- you ready to end? Uh, what? I'm ready to what? interrupt Yeah. Haley. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you in two weeks uh, for another episode of 2C Fans at Moat. Bye. Bye. <laughs>